Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by Scoped Vision. Y'all probably know of PhoneScope by now, right? It's that technology that allows you to hook up an adapter to your cell phone and then place that on your spotting scope or binos, and you can record what you're seeing through your optic. Well, Scoped Vision is the evolution of that technology, and now you can actually record your hunt through your rifle scope. You've got an adapter, it attaches to your scope, and you record right there with your cell phone. It's awesome. It's scoped vision. You can find it at phonescope.com. Well, I'm Paul, the apostle, pitching truck stop. Gospel, I'm not angry, not hot, not hostile. Just want you to love my Jesus. Gonna make you a true believer. Just want to modify your behavior. I just want you to love my Savior. Good morning, Cable Smith. Welcoming each and every one of you to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our longtime presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Powell Polaris, as well. It is great to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you folks today. So, thanks for dropping by. I do appreciate each and every one of you, and I am truly, truly grateful. For the outpouring of support, thoughts, uh, comments, messages on social media, text messages, phone calls uh, for our family and specifically Sweet Bell, our little brown chocolate lab, who uh, stopped eating on, what was that, Uh, Saturday. I guess my brother got married this weekend and so we weren't home a lot, but Bell can, you know, do the 10 to 12 hour stretch without having to go outside and you know she's a perfect lady in the house so we really didn't even notice until uh, Sunday and she hadn't eaten anything in a day and a half and then Monday came didn't want to eat so we took her to the vet on Tuesday and basically they thank God uh, misdiagnosed her essentially told me that they thought she had spleen cancer uh, forget the some kind of sarcoma whatever the technical name is but I all it did was, when the doctor left the room, look it up on my cell phone, and boom, your dog dies within three months. Six months if you take the spleen out. <laughs> so there is no cure. People don't spend a lot of money on cancers that aren't also um, an issue with humans. So nobody's dumping money into this cancer for these for labs and affects German uh, shepherds and golden retrievers specifically. Anyway, Bell's eight years old. And I think she's just been given this death sentence and come home that evening, a thousand dollars poor. And Aaron's like, uh, we're bawling our eyes out. Man. How do we tell our young kids? Henry's six, the girls are four. Stella and Frankie love that dog. I mean, they're, they're as sweet on her as they are on their dad. Um, and it was just an absolute nightmare. We put Maverick down three years ago. The same vet that uh, I'm dealing with all, all, all this stuff on, uh, what, I guess, Tuesday. And Erin's like, her her uh, background in, you know, she's a nurse practitioner, my wife. She's like, this just doesn't add up. They did the blood work. It came back negative. Um, she has a fever of 104.5. That's not consistent with cancer either. So Erin's like, I, I just don't think that this is cancer. And she gets a flashlight out and starts examining Belle's mouth herself and finds a golf ball-sized swollen area in her mouth. Like, this is why she can't eat and drink. 
So we'll take her back to the vet the next day. They put her under anesthesia and examine that spot. Different vet. Um, same clinic, but different doctor. And she does a um, biopsy on that as well. And basically says, I, I think that the dog just, you know, hurt herself chewing on a bone or a stick, stabbed herself in the mouth, and it got infected. And that's what this is. Uh, and so... The biopsy they did the day before on the spleen came back negative, so she did not have cancer of the spleen anyway. They you know, did do a biopsy on her mouth, but the doctor said she expects that to come back negative, and as of today, I haven't heard anything on that. So, looks like Belle's in the clear. Uh, she started eating a little bit again, and uh, boiled chicken and, and stuff like that, um, having to give her water with a syringe, but she is happy, wagging her tails, running around just like nothing ever happened other than just a sore mouth. So the main point is thank you guys and gals for uh, all the prayers. And although the Smith family is $2,000 poor now, uh, I don't know. We can't put a value on a member of your family, right? So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Two very different topics, but at the end of the day, two amazing stories from guys just like you and I out there living and breathing the great outdoors, passionate about the first guest, bass fishing. His name is Cody Matheny, and he recently nailed a 12.5-pounder only to come up with a 14-pound largemouth like three days after that. This was all in Texas at a small little uh, no-name lake. He was out there working the oil field, and his love for fishing just, I, he, I think he found it on Google Maps, just went out there and before he knew it, he caught these two monsters, and I credit the guy, and this is the whole point of the story, is yeah, he caught these two great fish, but he selfishly could have killed that fish to have it put into the Sherlunker records, and he chose to weigh it himself, even though he couldn't certify it, and release it. So we'll hear all about those two monster lunkers that he caught, and uh, <laughs> you should watch the... the uh, the GoPro video. I mean, he had a GoPro on his chest. It's absolutely phenomenal footage. Then we will switch gears and do something very similar, but with white-tailed deer. As New Jersey bow hunter Tim Hesse joins us, um, he arrowed what would be like arrowing a 200-inch deer in South Texas. I mean, an absolute stud for New Jersey. The damn thing, as 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 happens on small properties. It, it ran across the neighbor's fence line. And there is a tale of just pure sorriness when it comes to this deal. I mean, a guy took a chainsaw. Basically, the, the Game and Fish said, we're going to confiscate that rack. You didn't kill it, and there's no such thing as a salvage tag in New Jersey. They came to his house to get Tim's buck, and he took a chainsaw out and sawed off the antlers and said, I can't have it. Nobody can. <laughs> so there is a, a lot more to the story, obviously, and it is a good one. And it's one that I can honestly say uh, I enjoyed hearing about more than just about anything else I've heard in 2019. It's truly fascinating. And there is a happy ending uh, to this whole ordeal. You might be like, how can that be? The guy chopped the antlers off, and he did, time by time, saw the antlers off with the chainsaw. Uh, but uh, another sportsman came to the rescue and uh, we'll explain how it how it unfolded here at the bottom of the hour so that's what's on the docket for today uh two great stories to share with you 
So, you know what to do. Pull up a stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee because we're about to rock and roll. A couple other things to mention. Uh, we've got our April Photo of the Month contest. We're giving away a Mossberg 835 Tactical Turkey Shotgun. That's right. We're giving away a 12-gauge shotgun in April. So, email your best hunting, fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it on my Facebook page wall. Or use the LSOS photo contest hashtag on Instagram, and we will get you entered into this month's contest. Also, our 12 monthly winners at the end of the year will square off for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Speaking of Coons Canyon Ranch, Guns and Guitars 5 is scheduled for June. That's uh, the last weekend of June. And uh, I think it's like the 27th through the 3rd. I don't know. It's the last Thursday through Sunday in June. And we still have a couple spots. Max Stalling, one of our favorite singer-songwriters and his uh, running buddy, Mark David Manders, will be there playing nightly concerts. Also, Heather Stalling will be there on the fiddle. And it is a great weekend of uh, of hunting exotics and just enjoying some amazing uh, country music and camaraderie in the great outdoors so it's fully catered all your drinks food lodging included send me an email if, if you want some more info i'd love to have you join us this is the fifth annual guns and guitars by the way okay quick giveaway here because we are way over on time already uh putting us behind the eight ball today let's uh let's give away a a box of kent tungsten turkey loads this is the tk7 penetrator all you have to do is email the word turkey, that's turkey, to, to uh, Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and we will get you entered. Let's take a break. Up next, we're talking lunker largemouth bass right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. So what do you do when you're lonesome? Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Howdy, this is Robert Earl Keene, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Up this morning, before the sun, fix me some coffee and a honey bun. Jumped in the picker, gave her the gas, I'm going out to catch a five-pound bag. Gable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Little five-pound bass, our very own Robert Earl Keen there for you today. We're about to get into a couple fish tales for the ages. Uh, definitely fish that were a little bit bigger than five pounds. A couple lunkers caught by Cody Matheny here recently. But before we do that, this segment is proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. 
and blinds. And uh, not only do they make feeders for deer and wildlife, they also make fish feeders. So if you want to feed your five-pound pass, take it to that next level, maybe get yourself a double-digit, here's what you do. You take their damn fish feeder. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. You put it on your damn dam, and you feed your damn fish. It's the All Seasons Feeders Damn Fish Feeder. And once again, go to allseasonsfeeders.com to check it out. All right, that being said, let's bring on our first guest today. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really know much about Cody Matheny at all, other than uh, what I've seen from his fishing videos on social media. And that's why social media is great, because I sent him a message and invited him on the show, and he was happy to accommodate. So without further ado, let's bring him on right now, Cody Matheny. Thanks for jumping on, man. It's great to visit with you. Hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I, I, uh, I'm a little jealous. I know you're actually fishing right now. <laughs> yeah yeah oh, don't be too jealous i've only caught a couple yeah <laughs> no well, monsters <laughs> well you caught a couple big ones recently which i want to talk about today but first let's get to know you a little bit uh where are you from i'm from texacana texas uh-huh but i grew up in uh magnolia arkansas but okay. i've been living in texas for about a year now all right on i actually my first job in radio was in uh texacana and uh, wife and I got married. We lived there for a year, and uh, it kind of sucked because you had to drive over to Arkansas to buy beer. Yeah, yeah, it does suck. <laughs> they, they've actually opened up a couple on the Texas side now. Oh, really? You know that? Uh, what is that street? State line, and on yep. on the left side is Arkansas, on the right side is Texas, and you just had to yep. go over to the Arkansas side to <laughs> to get a brew or two. Yeah. So, have you been bass fishing your whole life? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean. When I was a kid, my dad started me out like, you know, a little Zebco 33 on the bank with a cork, throwing out crickets and stuff. I mean, just stuck from there. I've been bass fishing ever since. And so before this spring, what was your personal best largemouth? My personal best, I actually caught in uh, four city Arkansas on a little lake. It was 10 pounds, two ounces. Oh, nice. Nice. But, uh, I thought that was a giant. and then <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, so last month, uh, you caught uh, one over 12 pounds. Um, yeah, I caught one. It was 12 and a half pounds, right at 12 and a half. Yeah. Well, and and so then, uh, where, is this, where is this lake at? I mean, you've posted it. It's all over social media now, but I had never yeah, heard it's, of it. Uh, I was actually working in um, around Mentone, Texas, and I was stuck in a man camp up there working in the oil field, and I just got to looking on Google Maps and found a, some water and uh, drove over there. There's a little lake called Balmeray Lake uh-huh. in a little town called Balmeray. It's way out there in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I'm glad I drove out there, though. Uh, the first day, first few days I was out there, there were several people on the where I was fishing on that little canal. And, uh, I mean, I caught, I probably caught 10 little ones, probably a pound, pound and a half. and mm-hmm. And uh, went out there a few days later and pretty much had the place to ourselves with me and another co-worker out there when I caught the 12 and a half pound. Is, uh, that, there's a spring that feeds that lake, and the water that comes in that canal is super clear. I mean, you can see everything. Uh, and uh, I could see a bass on a bed. I could tell it was a good one, but I had no idea it was 12 and a half pounds. I was thinking maybe six. Something uh-huh. like that. Well, and uh, I cast it out there on a weightless Texas rig, this little uh, blue 
trick worm mm-hmm. and uh i just cast it out let it sink right in its bed and it'd swim up to it and look at it and it'd just swim off and oh i'd reel in i sat there for an hour trying to catch that same fish because it was the biggest one i've seen in a while and finally i just cast it out there and i let it sit there in the bed and i didn't move it or nothing i jigged it once and uh she swam up just barely opened her mouth sucked it in there and i couldn't even tell she had it hmm. i just pulled up on the pole a little bit felt a little weight and set it and the fight was on <laughs> that's that reminds me and I've, i have told this story on the air before but it's it's uh my love for fishing comes from my dad also and he caught uh i think it was about eight and a half pounder out of lake fork year like probably in the early 90s and i remember him yeah. bringing that fish home back then people it's sad but back then people just kept the fish you know they didn't really release it so he brought yeah. the fish home anyway but I remember him talking about catching that fish, and he found it that morning on a bed, couldn't catch it, couldn't catch it. Spent like four or five hours trying to catch it. Then eventually got frustrated, and he left, but it was bothering him. He came back later that afternoon, and uh, much like you, just eventually got it ticked off enough to you know, take the bait, and, and uh, it's still on his wall in his office today. So uh, sometimes patience worth pays off. <laughs> yeah, um, that's all it is. You've got to have some patience. Well, so... Um, you catch this 12 and a half pounder and I'm sure like anyone, you're thinking this is the fish of a lifetime and it's going to be tough to beat this. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was telling everybody, uh, yeah, I'll spend my whole life trying to catch a, a fish the same size or bigger. I'm sure mm-hmm. another 25 years <laughs> and, uh, four days later went out there and <laughs> caught that 14 pound monster bass. Uh, it's amazing, dude. And the cool thing is that you had a GoPro strapped to your chest, and you, you, so you catch this fish, and then like the first thing you said after some holy s's and oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> well, you're like, was I recording? Oh yes, I was recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually bought the I bought that GoPro like uh, I want to say the weekend before that. I hadn't I started a YouTube channel, and I was like, well, I'm gonna go out here and. Maybe I'll catch something to put on my YouTube channel, <laughs> and then yeah. the first fish I catch is that 14 pounder. Yeah. So, oh man. So that was the but first yeah, one. I, I did, oh wow! Since you got the GoPro, that's awesome. It was the same thing with that fish. I seen it. It was up in the grass on a bed. You saw it. And there, there was actually. Oh yeah, I, I could see it. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, I, it was the same thing. I knew it was big, but I didn't realize it was that big. They, they looked smaller under the water for some reason, but yeah. there was actually a guy there. He was trying to catch fish, and I was just fishing up and down the bank, and I could see him messing with something for probably an hour, and he wound up leaving, and I just happened to walk over there, and I could see it. See what he, I found out what he was messing with in, <laughs> so I did the same thing. I sat there for uh, probably an hour. I guess I just ticked her off enough. She took the bait, and... and uh, so I got to ask you, though, is this the same guy that was in the video? No, it wasn't him. Oh, I was gonna say uh, that would. Could you imagine being yeah, that dude? Yeah, like, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could you're like messing with this angry. fish for an hour, and you leave, and then another guy walks over there and catches and it. Like, hey, man, can you hold my camera for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. So was it the same bait? Uh, no. It, this one was actually it was a uh, on a green pumpkin trick worm. Uh, I think it was a ten inch. Uh huh. And it, it looked like a pretty uh, bluebird day. It didn't see a lot oh. of cloud cover in in the video. <laughs> There wasn't a cloud in the sky. What time was that at? Uh, I, when I caught that fish, I want to say it was probably 
around two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh huh. And what about how deep do you think the water was there? Right where I caught that one, it was probably only shoot. I'd probably say four foot at the most. Hmm. It was real shallow where I caught that one. I mean, you wrestled her in pretty quick on on the video. It's like boom, yeah. caught. You got her hooked. Set the hook. And yeah, uh, luckily, and then, uh, what twenty thirty seconds she was on the bank. Yeah, luckily, uh, I was able to keep her in the grass, kind of. When the first time she jumped, she kind of landed on some grass, mm-hmm. and I was able to get her head turned back towards the bank and winch her across the grass a little bit before she went back in the water. Uh, if she would have hit the open water, it would have been, I'm sure it would have been a while trying to get her in, especially around all that, that duckweed. Uh, and I encourage everyone to check out the video. It's on my Facebook, and then I edited because it was a little long for Instagram, but I edited it down to a minute uh, with your permission, and it's on there as well. And, and you could see uh, Cody messing with the drag, you know, adjusting his drag, and just kind of the reaction when you hook a fish this big. And uh, and I haven't caught um, a 14 pounder, but last spring, you know, I, we kind of started talking off the air, and I told you I caught that 10 2 3. Yeah. In that moment that she jumped the first time, I thought it was a catfish. I'll be honest with you, because I was like, "Oh man, I'd caught a few crappie, a couple little bass." And when when you set the hook and it feels like you set it into a stump. Oh yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is a catfish. And then it jumped, and I was like, "Oh my God, please, <laughs> please God, let this happen for me. Let this happen for me." You know. And then she jumped the, three times. Every time they jump is like, please don't. A heart that attack. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was my the first the twelve and a half pound. I mean, I sent you the video on that, and you could see all the my language in that one. <laughs> I didn't say a whole lot in the first one when I was had it on the line because I was more scared than anything of it coming off. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it well, took so, me a while to to quit shaking after catching it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the Sherlunker program. Um, so you caught this fourteen pounder. You had a scale there wasn't a digital scale it was a i mean i don't know what it takes to get it certified honestly um yeah uh, but you let this fish go you weighed it 14 pounds you got video you got some pictures and then what's cool is you stuck your gopro under the water and you can see you know you can see the release and see the, the fish swim off healthy uh, which was very cool and i applaud you for that but wasn't there a part of you that was like i gotta get this fish entered into the sherlocker program oh i I actually, I held the fish in the water with my hand because I didn't have any way of just, I didn't have no kind of stringer, live well or anything. I just pretty much laid on the bank with the fish in one hand and my phone in the other. I called everybody I could find on the internet. I called all the game wardens in the area and and uh, I tried getting in touch with the uh, Sherlonga program and got to looking and the closest way station to there was it was a long ways uh-huh. lo- longer than I could keep the fish alive for and but when I wasn't able to get any a hold to anybody I just I, it wasn't worth the fish dying mm-hmm. just to get my name on there but believe me I wanted to I mean it would have been awesome to have my name on that that was the lake record for that lake and uh and uh, Sherlunker would have. Uh, well, is will will the lake at least certify it as the record? Um, I'm sure they'll 
the lady at there's a little store there that you have to buy a little permit to i guess to fish there and they she said she was going to print it off and put it as a lake record and stuff but i bet you they're selling a lot more permits now (laughs) oh man yeah it's actually uh on one of my videos somebody commented and said uh that the canal has been packed ever since oh my gosh i'm sure that's amazing. But, yeah, I told them they ought to cut me a check for all the business I'm <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess the thing that irks me is, like, there's no recourse here. You shouldn't get penalized by the Sherlunker program for letting the fish go. Um, I know it's not a certified right. scale, and it might, you know, I guess kind of it is what it is. They've got to do their due diligence and make sure everything's on the up and up. But it yeah. penalizes guys who don't have a certified scale and, and do the right thing and, and, and let the fish go. Um, yeah. you know, not taking that risk of possibly killing it. So I wish there was a better alternative. Uh, I think that they could come up with something, you know, they've been doing this a long time. Yeah. It seems like there's, uh, especially with everyone with the technology we have today, cell phones, uh, it's not hard to figure yeah. out if a fish is over 13 pounds or not. So, right. Um, yeah. I think I'm thinking the biggest, the biggest deal from all that was my, me not having a, a digital scale, I think, really kind of mm. messed me up on a couple things that could have happened. Yeah. But well, I've, I've I've got a digital scale now, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, when I caught that ten two three, I I had a rusted out old scale. Uh, I guess I hadn't caught a fish worth weighing in so long that the thing was all corroded, and uh, took that fish out and tried to weigh it. No, the scale wouldn't come on. Went to the seven. Yeah. I I tied the fish up with uh with some braid i just took it out of the back out of my yep. fishing backpack and tied her up and and i didn't care about it, it didn't care about channel or any of that i just cared about verifying that my fish was bigger than my dad's biggest fish <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all yeah. i cared about and uh and then i ran up to cabela's because the uh the batteries didn't turn that scale on because the whole thing was just shot and yeah. um uh, bought a scale and then went back there weighed her and released her so yeah, that's the first thing I did when I got back home. I went straight to Academy and bought the best digital scale I could find. Yeah. Well, man, it's a it's a hell of a story. One of those uh, fish tales, especially since you caught the the two giants back to back, and and you and you can't tell from the video that you could you were actually um, sight casting to these fish. You know, all you know is yeah. this guy hooks a giant fish and pulls out the one. You're like, oh my god, that is a that is a toad right there both times. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't expecting. I mean, usually in clear water, they're real. If they, if you can see them, usually everybody says they can see you. And mm-hmm. I was not expecting anything like that going to that lake. Well, it's just it's that's the style of fishing this time of year. Is if they're on beds, you, you literally just have to make them angry enough, like irritate the hell out of them until they finally make that mistake. And yep. it could take an hour. It could take like my dad all day. Um, yeah. But there is definitely a, a reward for those with with the uh, ability or the mental. Because it's frustrating, you know. You might try. I mean, I've done it. I've thrown everything in my pack, uh, switched to every soft plastic I have, thrown jigs, anything. And there's days where they just they just won't do it. So yeah, there was a, there was several bass I, that I did wind up catching that were smaller. Uh, there was one that was seven pounds I caught right before the twelve and a half, and I mean. I emptied my whole tackle box. I put everything I had on, and finally I just picked the right worm and picked it off enough. <laughs> right on, right on. 
Well, cool. Well, hey, what is your uh, YouTube channel? Folks want to follow along. Yeah, Matheny Fishing Channel is what it is. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Cody, thanks for the time, man. Congrats. Uh, and, and kudos to you for, for letting that fish go. I mean, that was the thing that really stood out for making it a, a cool video to a conservation, you know, hey, let them go, let them grow, let the big ones, yep. that's the future. I'm kind of glad I was the one that caught it because there was, on the bigger one, there was a group of guys that came up and as I was letting the fish go, they're like, what, you're going to let it go? <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to eat this 14-pound bass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's crazy, and I'm not opposed. People can keep bass. I don't. It doesn't bother me one bit. If you want to keep a stringer oh, of bass, yeah. but I would encourage folks to, you know, make it of the, you know, the biggest three or four pounds. There's no really reason. Yeah, to, I mean, two, three, four, five pound bass anytime you want, and and you can eat them whenever. I mean, there's this uh, this terrible misconception that, and it's put out there by the fishing community. Hey, bass aren't good eating. Oh, that's baloney. Fried bass I mean, tastes I, just as good as sand bass, crappie, any of that stuff. It's fine. <laughs> yep. Well, right on, man. Well, folks, y'all check out Cody's uh, YouTube channel. We'll see if, if there's another 14-pounder to be had. And yeah. now that you've got that digital scale, we'll see if Texas Parks and Wildlife will uh, <laughs> will take care of you. <laughs> yep. I'll be working on it. All right, Forever. Cody. <laughs> well, thanks, man. We appreciate the time. All right, man. It was nice talking to you. Well, there he goes, angler Cody Matheny. Uh, that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag. Credit land is the one thing they ain't making any more of, and they're not going to, but we all want it. So if you're ready to take the next step, make your dream a reality, uh, whether you want uh, property for hunting, fishing, recreating, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. They've been doing it for over 100 years. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Up next, we switch from big bass to big bucks, and we do so with New Jersey whitetail hunter Tim Hess. Uh, truly an amazing big buck story, but one of the sorriest things I've ever heard of a, quote, hunter doing uh, when it comes to the actions of Tim's neighbor. We'll get into that next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. I've been packing my gear, now open day's near. I'm saving up change for poker all year. I've sighted my gun and got plenty of ammo. I'm going in the woods in full camo. 
Kyle Hunt's hunting song bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well, our presenting sponsors. Thank you guys and gals for being here today. I'm Cable Smith, and it's a privilege to be talking all things outdoors with you here today. And we've got an absolutely crazy whitetail deer tail to get into here momentarily uh, but before we're joined by new jersey whitetail hunter tim hess this segment of the presentation is brought to you by dallas safari club the worldwide leader in big game conservation i'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters rights education and conservation to do so check us out at biggame.org we'd love to have you um, all right well this next story is one just absolutely wild-ass situation coming out of New Jersey and a big buck that was killed there uh, this past whitetail season. But the twists and turns that this tale takes is one for the ages. And so without further ado, let's welcome the hunter, Tim Hess, to the program. We certainly appreciate you being here, man. Same here. I've been looking uh, forward to talking to you, Cable. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Let's get to know you a little bit as far as... Where you live and uh, how long you've been hunting whitetails? All right. Well, I'm 28 years old. I've been hunting uh, since I was 10 uh, with my father. I've been introduced before that at a younger age with him, rabbit dogs, all kinds of stuff. We've, I've hunted fish my whole life. Um, I'm from Mullica Township, New Jersey. Uh, it's about, if you're not sure where that's at, I'm uh, about 20, 20 minutes from Atlantic City. Uh, it's a little suburb, suburban area, um, basically the Pine Barrens, if uh-huh. anybody's familiar with that. But that's pretty that's pretty much about me, where I live and where I've come from. Right on. And you've been down you've been down to my neck of the woods before. You've hunted down here. Yeah, I hunted down there. I was down at uh, uh, uh what the heck was it called? Chaparosa Ranch. Uh-huh. I was down there with uh, Alex, who's the manager over there, and I hunted with Luke. Uh, did a duck hunt with Luke. Um, that was that was pretty fun too. I had a great time. I was just down there this January. And I think you guys shot a hog too on that hunt. Yeah. Yep. We shot. Uh, we shot Avelina. Um, oh, Avelina. That's what it was. it was. Yeah. It was Charlie's. It was, we went with my buddy Matt. It was for his son's tenth birthday, and that's where we went for his tenth tenth birthday. He wanted to go duck hunting down in Texas, and we hunted down in South Texas. And it was a great time. <laughs> and that's how we got connected. Is um, It was a couple of weeks ago. Somebody sent me this uh, video, perhaps the biggest a-hole of 2019. And it turns out he happens to be one of the neighbors of the property that you hunt uh, deer on. And so it was this guide that uh, said, hey, I actually know Tim. Because um, I didn't know whose, whose buck it was. It was just this, this dude with a chainsaw going to town on this whitetails rack. Uh, and so anyway, we'll get into this story. That's how we got connected is through, through your guide. Um, and you know, I call this guy a jerk or an a-hole because like I said, he's just sitting there time by time sawing off the antlers of what looked to be a pretty awesome buck. So before we get into that, how, how we got to that point, tell us about the property that you hunt and your relationship with your neighboring properties. And I, you've been to Texas. I don't know what a big property is in New Jersey, if it's 10 acres or 50 or 100. Well, a big, big property in uh, in New Jersey, 
uh, you're talking like 50, 100 acres. Most of our most of our ground around here is all cut up, smaller blocks, smaller farms. The piece I was actually hunting in was public ground. Where I first seen this deer was in velvet in the guy's field behind the house that the guy chopped the deer's horns up. That's okay. Where I first seen that deer. So. That so and tell me how house. big how big was your property again? Oh, the piece the piece that I was in was eight acres. Okay, and and is that uh, as far as your neighbors? Is that about what theirs are as well? Uh, the, the piece of property that the guy that the that guy owned was about 50 acres of uh, of woods with a creek bottom in it and field, and they had corn planted in one field, which was a different owner who owned that field had the corn planted, but he basically had both sides of the corn field he owned, and that it was it's our 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 woods is similar to the terrain you guys have. That's real, real heavy with cactus and all that. Our uh-huh. woods is pretty thick down here. You really, some pieces you can't see real far in. Some pieces you can. The piece that I was hunting in was an overgrown field with uh, Russian olives, and they pretty much took over that. It was probably about uh, 15 to 20 year old uh, growth in there of bigger, mature oak trees and a lot of Russian olive underbrush that was so thick you couldn't even see through. Kind of like when we were hog hunting in Texas. Yeah. You couldn't see you couldn't see 10 feet into the woods. And people wonder why we use feeders down here, right? <laughs> yeah. I, there's no way to get them get, there's no way to hunt them unless you have a feeder. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, so okay. So that's a little background as far as the uh the first time you saw the deer, which was in which was in the jerk's cornfield, I guess, behind his his place. Well, it was in a it was in a hay field basically. It was, okay. Uh, he didn't even have it planted behind his house. Yeah. Mm. But that was the first time I seen him. So basically, we're going to call his section the central spot, right? Uh-huh. So I started doing some research on the computer, well, basically on my phone using my Onyx uh, app, and uh, I was finding out pieces of property, see see who was owning them. Basically, everything around there was landlocked. Except for this southern piece, there was a southern piece. I happened to be driving down the road. I seen a guy had a for sale sign, so I contacted the landowner, got permission uh, to lease his property off of him, and I began to start feeding, waiting to see if once the hunting pressure got pushed on to this deer, if the deer was going to go like a southern direction. Yeah. So that's that's I was banking on all these hunters pressuring this deer down my direction. So opening season opened up around uh, in September. I ended up harvesting a doe because we have a earn a buck uh, zone in New Jersey, and that happened to be one. So I shot. Oh, so my you have to shoot a doe one. before you can shoot a buck. Yes, correct. Oh wow! Early, Is that statewide? September season. What's that? Is that a statewide law? Not statewide. The state the state's done research, and uh, they only have certain. We have zones. Certain zones open up earlier. Hmm than uh than other zones due to i guess they do research the biologists sure. research they figure out what what zones are allowed to be open first because there's a more of an abundance of deer yeah and you actually are you're able to harvest the deer in velvet if oh, you, wow. if you get lucky to yeah so i began i began hunting the zone i had a place out by out by my house uh one of my buddies owned a piece of property that was an earlier zone, so I harvested my doe, uh, tagged that in. Then it was time to get down to business to try to hunt this deer. And I had a, I had camera, had the cell camera up. As soon as I started baiting, I had my camera up. It was in, I want to say, 
uh, mid mid August probably this piece. Mm -hmm. I started baiting. Well, in the meantime, I baited that south piece and I found a piece to the north, and I started to uh, bait that piece to the north too, just in case the deer went either direction. And how big was that place? Oh, the piece that I had that piece. The piece I leased the ground off of was a couple acres. It was uh, smaller, uh -huh. and it was it used to be owned by a golf course. Okay. The, other, the other section that was adjacent to me, which was probably about 100-something acres. Okay, so you total have got like 10 acres there, eight on the south, two on the north, that you're you're trying to draw this buck into. Yeah, two, two, or two to three on the south and 10 on the north, or eight on the north. So, yeah, okay. so a total of 10 acres. Right. Um. Yeah, so I was... I was waiting. I was I wasn't hunting that south side at all, and then I started I started realizing the road that I drove into on. I started to see uh, tracks coming in all the time. Well, I put an ambush camera up, caught a guy trespassing on there, back and forth with this Gator ATV, back and forth, back and forth. Well, here it was a guy that lived around the corner, and he seen my tracks, seen the deer stand, so he wasn't happy that I was in there. I ended up running into one of the farmers, too, because I parked my truck and I set up and I was ready to hunt. I still didn't have the deer on camera. I said, let me give it a shot. Let me sit in there and see if, see, you never know, you know what I mean, if he's going to show up or if he won't. Yeah. End up the one, the one farmer comes in. I had talked to him. I told him I had permission. I'm up in a tree. He's down on the ground. I say, I have permission to be here. I tell him the guy's name. I had the written permission and everything. Showed him. And the guy's, you know, the guy's saying, oh, I basically haunted here. I can't believe the owner let you in and all this. So there was a little bit of a conflict of interest, I guess, there. This guy just thought he had free run of the place, huh? Yeah, he thought he had free run of the place, and he, you know, I'm paying for it. I mean, I had every right to be there. Yeah. So yeah. instead of me getting into it with him, and then he tells me who the other guy is, so instead of me getting in the middle of all this, I just packed my stuff up, and I left. I left that piece. The guy's... The, the other dude that was driving in on the ATV ended up buying the piece of property just because I was hunting on it. <laughs> wow, okay. So then you lose that. That was the, the two-acre plot? That, yeah, that was the two, three-acre plot, yeah, that I that I lost because because of that. They, people just, you know, deer make people do crazy you, things. Did you know? get your money back? No, I did not. I was paying monthly. I was paying by month. Oh. And... That was probably my biggest mistake. I probably should have just paid the guy for a good couple months. But the guy was like, yeah, just pay me monthly, and we'll just go by then. Because I only told him I wanted to hunt the bow seasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was pretty much the, the end of uh, the end of that. So, so, so clearly this other guy, so, so people knew about this buck then? Everybody in the whole town knew about the deer. The wardens were setting up, like, sting operations around the town, making sure nobody would poach the deer. They pulled a couple people over, busted their balls, you know, no, but they were just making, they were kind of protecting the area because there was actually two big bucks on a really nice 10 pointer and this really nice 15 pointer with yeah. a big drop tine on them. And that was the one that I ended up, the guy ended up chopping up. So let me ask you this, because, you know, trophies in the eye of a beholder, but a, a nice buck as far as score wise is based off of, you know, regional. So like, if you're hunting in the Texas Hill Country and you shoot a 130-inch buck, that's a hell of a buck. If you are hunting in South Texas, you know, a hell of a buck's like 160, you know, so it's 170. Yep. Um, what is a big buck score in New Jersey? So, basically, a trophy a trophy buck, you're talking 120s, 130s is a really nice buck. 
Like that's uh, pretty much a four and a half year old deer here because we don't really have the, the nutrients for the deer as in the soil and we have a lot of sugar sand here so it doesn't really bear uh good nu- good nutrients for the deer uh-huh. uh, other otherwise you go to agriculture area you'll get really nice buck and uh a really nice buck is like like a trophy around here is 140s 150s that's a really nice buck this deer happened to score in the 160s wow what i wonder what the state record is Oh, uh, the state record. They got they got some state record deer are, are two hundred inch. Okay. Okay. But that's that's like North Jersey. South Jersey is a whole different ball game. Yeah. South Jersey, if you were to shoot a two hundred inch deer in South Jersey, that is like unheard of. So one sixty is basically unheard of. It's got the whole town riled up to where the game wardens are setting up sting operations so that no one poaches this thing. Um right. so when the season started, did he become nocturnal or did he just kinda keep his regular routine? Well, for for a while there, um, the deer the deer kind of kept the summertime habit. You know, he was still showing up in daylight after uh, after that. People were still seeing the deer in the field. Um, I, I heard I heard one guy actually shot at the deer and didn't get it. Hit the blind when he shot out the blind mm. with the bow. But um, the deer basically then he started to go nocturnal. Then the deer started to go nocturnal and. I guess finally, so a week after I got kicked out of that piece, basically in the first week of October, when I had left that piece, I still had the piece for the month of October, but I ended up leaving the first week. In about the second week, the deer was spotted literally across the street where I was, only like 100-something yards Hmm. away from the side I go in on. Wow, okay. So then I knew the deer was on the south side, so I'm saying to myself, I'm never going to see this stinking thing. Well, wouldn't you know it, around November 16th, we had our first snow. That was the first day I had that pitch, the picture of that buck on my camera, 4.30 in the morning. It was it was only a couple inches of snow for us, but it was really windy. We had like 40, 50 mile an hour winds that day, mm-hmm. that, that night. And that was the first time I had that deer on camera. Okay, Tim, so the whole town is up in arms about this buck. You finally have him on your little eight acres on the south side there for the first time, mid-November. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and hear how this thing plays out. Uh, That segment proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Check out the new Pulsar Thermion. Especially if you're a bolt-action guy, this is the thermal scope for you. It's still got all the great features of the trail lineup with the internal recording. Uh, All that great stuff. It's the Pulsar Thermion. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. We will be right back with more from New Jersey whitetail hunter Tim Hess. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. 
Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Well, that is Vigilantes of Love, Black Bro. Take me back, take me back a long time, actually. That's the sound of my youth. Uh, one of the bands that used to come play at my youth camp uh, growing up in the Baptist church back in the day. That, uh, that had to be mid-90s there. Uh, Bill Maloney, the lead singer, and uh, oddly enough, voted by Rolling Stone as one of the 100 greatest living American songwriters. So how about that? Check it out, Vigilantes of Love, um, a great Americana band from the mid-90s. This segment of the presentation, uh, before we get back into it with New Jersey whitetail hunter Tim Hess, is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Here's what you do. Make it a combo. Go to Rudy's, get some great barbecue, and wash it down with a nice cold Lone Star Beer. How about that? Now, without further ado... Let's jump back into it here with Tim Hess, who, uh, before the break, had described the attention that this buck had, this, this New Jersey white-tailed deer, had been seen by so many people in this small town that the game wardens even set up sting operations to prevent people from poaching it. Uh, but all the hunters, bow hunters out there, knew of this buck and were making their plans and uh, trying to get dialed in to be able to stick an arrow in him. And once the hunting pressure came, the buck went nocturnal. Uh, Tim said that, I think it was mid-November, Tim, when you got your first picture of this deer, like around the the 16th. So let's pick it up there and uh, get into how the rest of this pursuit played out. So the cell camera's doing all the work for me. I'm only going in midday, baiting. I'm going in, figuring a deer are bedded down. That's when I'm going in, baiting my seat. Had permission to... I didn't have to ask for permission because it's uh, public ground. But... The road that I would drive down, there was a, there was an old bar at the end of the road, and I was at, I was talking to the people there, and uh, the the owner he didn't care. It was a closed down bar, but I happened to run into him. The guy said he didn't mind if I parked in his parking lot, and I was parking in his parking lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, this deer, this deer showed up. He finally showed up. I was baiting. Within within a week, the deer kept coming back, and I I would get him like once or twice a week, and I started watching all the wind patterns and figured out what winds this deer was coming in on, and the deer would show up on daylight hours on a south wind. He would show up. I got everything written down here. So this <laughs> 16th was, the 16th was the first day the deer came in. The 22nd, I had the deer at 11 o'clock in the morning. That was on, thanks, that was, I believe that was Thanksgiving. That mm. was the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, that was 1 a.m. in the morning. So that was Thanksgiving Day. He was there. The next day, I had him show up on the 23rd. The 26th, the deer showed up at 5:20 in the afternoon. 
uh, the 28th of November. The deer showed up twice, once in the morning at 7.42 and once in the afternoon at 11.20. Uh, that was south, south wind. Every time this deer was showing up on daylight hours, I'm stinking at work. In between that time, I, the deer was, I was figuring like every three days the deer was coming in. And he was coming during daylight hours because it was like a sanctuary, hidden kind of sanctuary, I guess. Nobody really knew. And I didn't have no pressure in there because I wasn't pushing, I wasn't pushing this deer at all. You know, yeah. and uh, and you haven't hunted it yet. Set, yeah, I no, I did hunt it. Okay. I, I, once he started, once he showed up the second time, I started to hunt, and I was very particular in what winds I was sitting. I would sit uh, from four o'clock in the morning all the way till dark every day. No <laughs> lunch, no nothing. I would just sit there dark to dark. I did about three sits. Finally, I got an opportunity on the deer in December, and. Uh, I, I, here's, here's what, here's the part that is the hardest part to talk about, I guess. Well, let me, let me uh, ask you just one more okay. thing on the backstory. What do you, what do you bait with in New Jersey? Are you using corn or some, some other? Oh, use, uh, use corn, sugar beets, uh, sweet potatoes. Okay. Normally I was just baiting this deer. I was just baiting this deer with, uh, corn and, uh, sugar beets. Okay. And every time I happened to notice on the camera, every time this buck was in that piece of woods, I would have like the bait would never get touched. I was having the bait was not getting touched because I guess his presence was in there, you know, mm. and all while I was baiting when the whole time I was baiting during the late summer through September into October, I would have nine, 10 does on that bait pile <laughs> all the time. And I knew during once that rut came in during November, I knew that I was going to get this deer in. And that's when I first got him in in November, in November, I believe it was 16th or something like that. He came in. That was the first time he came in. I knew, I knew, and that was basically from the central spot to there was probably about, I don't know if you were to draw a diagonal. It really ain't that far. Maybe like 600 yards, something like that. He had to cross a, a pretty busy road to get over to the side I was on. And then when he would want to go south, he would have to cross another busy road. Well, that's so a, I mean, your dedication uh, here needs to be mentioned because you don't ever have any proof that this buck's ever going to come here. You're just hoping, hoping, hoping. You're baiting, you're getting does, and just hoping that, hey, you're going to draw this buck in. Uh, and you baited from August till November. So you start seeing them uh, coming in on your camera. And are you sitting, or did you hang a couple tree stands, or how were you hunting this property? Oh, I was hunting, I just hung one deer stand, one tree stand. I hung one tree stand. Uh, I, set, I set that tree stand up in September because mm-hmm. I figured the deer need to acclimate to it before I hunt it because I want them to get used to it. I had it kind of only like 15 feet up off the ground, but it was hidden in uh, like briars. We have briars here with thorns on them, cat briars and all that. And I was hidden. The platform was hidden in them briars and I was kind of hidden in them. So it was like, it was a really good setup what I had going on. Yeah. And then once that deer started coming in, I I kind of did what I didn't want to do. I, I went into the piece a little bit deeper and it's only a small piece so i was taking a chance on bumping him but i didn't know but i hung a second camera in that piece to ambush this deer figuring he might come through this run and the day i the day i shot the deer the night before the deer came i watched him come in on that run and then he was going then a doe came back out and was heading back out of the piece and then right behind her was him wow. and then about I want to say maybe an hour later, he came back past the camera again, 
And then a couple hundred yards away, he went into the bait pile. He ate at the bait pile, and then he bed it down hmm. for the night. And the next day, I hunted. I got in the stand around one o'clock in the afternoon. Sat sat there. You know, I'm sitting. I'm sitting up there. It's about it's about uh four. 4.30, 4.45, I'm sitting there, I say a prayer, like, you know, hoping I see this thing. <laughs> I look back, here's a stinking tractor. I see, like, headlights in the field. It looked like it was a tractor running up in the field because I could see the field from, you know, because there's no brush. Yeah. Because I'm up in the canopy a little bit. I look back to the left, and there he is standing there behind the brush. I go, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I sit down, and uh, I ended up, I'm a diehard, I'm going to tell you the truth here. I'm a diehard compound bow hunter, uh-huh. but we're allowed to use crossbow in New Jersey. Sure. I knew if I shot this deer, I would get in the top 10 with the crossbow. I have, I, I knew since I was hunting this deer in September, I shot a doe with the crossbow. Uh-huh. That was the first deer I've ever, ever killed with a crossbow. Then I sat and I ended up shooting this deer with the crossbow. So I'm going to tell you how it went down. So this deer, this deer comes, comes in, I'm sitting, I'm basically facing due north. I mean, now, yes, I'm facing due north. The wind's blowing out of the south. The deer is coming in to my right. I look to my right. I'm already, I'm actually facing straight east. I'm sitting in there facing straight east. The bait pile's to my left a little bit. The deer comes in broadside to the pile, but he's actually quartered towards me. I'm, I, had to, I had to bow up. I'm telling you, the crossbow up, I was steady as could be. I'm looking at the deer, and I'm like, I don't want to shoot this thing in the shoulder. Yeah. And I moved the bow back, the crosshairs back, just a little bit. Man, I let I let that thing go. Once you let it go, there ain't no taking it back. <laughs> the deer kicked up, ran, stopped, flickered his tail, and he could barely walk. He was like dragging his leg a little bit. And I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I go, that ain't good. I said I hit the thing too far back. I heard like the watermelon pop, like you were to shoot like a rifle at a deer. That's what it just sounded like. Nothing but hollow hmm. when that arrow went through it. And I get I get down 15 minutes later. It was literally like two or three minutes before legal shooting light was over. Yeah. When I shot this deer, I had the trail camera took a picture of the deer before I shot it. Everything. I get down 15 minutes later. I look, can't find the arrow. I leave. I go tell my buddy. We come back like two hours later. We come back. We find the arrow. Arrow's covered in guts. Mm. We pulled out for the night. Talk about one stressful night, man. I couldn't even sleep. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Next morning, we get in there around 8.45 in the morning. We follow. We got we got good blood trail for like 40 yards. Then it starts petering down. So we keep walking in that general direction. We kick. We end up kicking the deer up. As soon as we kick the deer up, we found a we found three beds right there filled with blood. We left. We left again. We said we ain't pushing this thing. We left. Figure hopefully it stays in this little piece. Huh. End up leaving the next day. I called a, I called the tracking dog service that night to give him a heads up, see if I can arrange something for him to come, so we can comb this whole piece out in the morning to see if the deer is there. Yeah. We combed the whole piece out. Didn't find. We didn't. We don't find the deer. The dog. It rained. It poured rain that night. The dog was still able to get on the track in that piece. And then after we didn't find the deer in that piece, we grid searched the whole piece, and. uh we ended up getting permission into another piece of woods that same day. I, I knocked on a guy's door. A guy gave me permission to look. We looked. We ended up kicking the deer up 20 yards away. You could tell he was hurt real bad, and it was like his final push. So 
I thought the deer ran back north. So this is so, this is two days after you shot him at this point. Yeah, and the dog tracker, when I talked to him, he said, most cases, because this guy does this all the time. Yeah. He said, and he has to call, he has to call the state. He gives him my conservation ID number. Everything is, everything is, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's on the up and up. Registered. Yeah. It's on the up and up. Everything's yeah. on the up and up. What was this, what was the other neighbor's response when you knocked on his door? Was, did he know about the buck, I'm assuming? Oh, no, the guy had no idea. He didn't even care. Oh, <laughs> cool. He had no idea. The guy didn't hunt or nothing, had no idea. He said, sure, you can look. We go in there, we look. The dog, we get the dog, dog caught a, caught a wind of something. Didn't know what it was. We end up looking in the piece. It was only a couple of us. It only took us like five, ten minutes to walk this whole little piece. It was only like, I don't even know how many acres it was. Uh-huh. But we end up walking this piece out real fast. We get up towards the back of the one dude's house, towards the guy's house, and we kicked the freaking deer up. Mm. Kicked the deer up from 20 yards away. Got to see it, seen it was shot, seen, the, seen it was wounded. The deer was running a little messed up. <clears throat> we heard a car slow down, but we also seen birds jump up. So we walked up to like the edge of the field because we're not allowed in the field. You're not allowed to trespass on any agricultural land at all. And the dog tracker is very by the book on everything that he does. Good for and him, I, yeah. Well, yeah, he will not do nothing unless it's on the up and up. Yeah. And we seen tracks go north, and we weren't sure if it was his tracks or not, but I remember hearing a car slow down. So in the meantime, we pull out. We're done. We're done for the day. Now I'm trying to get a game plan together. Like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Man, so now you've kicked the deer up a couple times over a two- or three-day period. I want to hear about the game plan, what you came up with. But first, let's take a break. That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. With locations in Marion and San Antonio, Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for quite a long time. Looking around the studio here, and whether it's a, an exotic, a whitetail, a European mount, or you want a, a replica of a fish you've caught. i got a 29.5-inch speckled trout in here. Becky did an amazing job on that. I trust them wholeheartedly and wouldn't use anyone else. They'll take care of you just like they do me. And you can find them at gr8mounts.com. We will be right back with more from New Jersey whitetail hunter Tim Hess. We're certainly building towards a tipping point and entering stage right soon enough will be one of the biggest a-holes I've ever heard of in hunting. We'll wrap this up next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease we have the solution the system hog trap comes in two sizes 17 foot and 30 foot diameter traps after you trap the hogs take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder the system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence that way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com that's goinfencing.com Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts. Just 30 minutes south of DFW, if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, 
you need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Hi, my name is Daryl Lee Rush, and I'm just proud to be here. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I have run many a valley, and I have crawled to the edge of the Yorkaquan. I have held out. I have given as good as I've gotten, but I have not. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by. Dallas Safari Club, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. For the last few segments, we've been building towards a climax regarding this New Jersey buck for the ages. Whitetail hunter Tim Hess has arrowed this once-in-a-lifetime buck and has now bumped it two different times over the course of a couple days as he's tried to track this thing. Um, and that's the problem with hunting small parcels. And trust me, I just leased 25 acres in Collin County, and that is my biggest fear for next year is to shoot a buck. Even if you make a good shot, 25 acres, I mean, they could uh, easily make it over the fence. And then what do you do? Well, hopefully you're friendly with your neighbors. Um, one neighbor let Tim go on to uh, his property. That's where they bumped the buck the second time. We're about to pick it up there. But first, this segment is brought to you by the Vortex Razor Red Dot. This is the sight that I had on, or have on my 10 millimeter, uh, what I used to take the Black Buck with a couple weeks ago. It is fast, accurate, clear, compact, durable, and dependable. Trust me, I put all my gear through the ringer. I, uh, you know, you, they say you drive a, a, a car that's not yours like you stole it. Well, I treat all my gear like I stole it. Uh, but the Razor Red Dot stands up to that beating and uh, highly recommended. It. It's what I trust. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. All right. Well, Tim, thanks for sticking around. Let's pick it back up here. You're trying to come up with a game plan. You've now bumped this buck for a second time. Uh, what is your next move? I went north about a mile because the deer was spotted in the summertime, actually north of even where the north spot I had was. So I set a pile up over there wondering, if maybe he'll wander that way, there was a lot of water. The piece we jumped the deer in had water in it and everything. Mm-hmm. We figured he would go, I don't know, one body of water. We were under the impression he went north. I set up another camera. I had three uh, trail cameras that take pictures that sent them to my phone. Set up. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Two weeks goes by. Not He hasn't been on the camera once, but there was always a four-pointer that was always with him that was like bachelored up with him. Uh-huh. And uh, in the in the early season, well, even during the rut, that four pointer was hanging around everywhere he went. All three of them cameras in that range had that four pointer on them, and it's the same deer because he had a different feature to him. Yeah. So then it's time to go to Texas. So we go to Texas. We had a good time. We flew into San Antonio, flew down, drove down, rented a car, went duck hunting, had an awesome time. Best stinking duck hunting I ever did. Went. Shot Havelina at the ranch. Awesome time. I definitely want to come back. Ah, Texas is overlooked. People don't think of Texas as this great waterfowl destination, but uh, it sure can be. Unbelievable for the birds. Unbelievable. 
Best, best thinking time I ever had in my life. <laughs> Luke, Luke was an awesome man. Shout out to Luke if he's listening to us, and shout out to Alex over at the ranch if he's uh, he he they took care of us. All of them guys took care of us. So I, I'm showing Alex. This is how I guess you got uh, wind of this. I showed Alex the picture of the deer. He's guessing. We're all guesstimating what the deer would be. I tell him the story how I couldn't find them. All this. I I looked literally every day in pieces that I was allowed to look in. I was I had people sitting there looking for birds. The, the vultures because the turkey buzzards eat the eat the dead deer sure i found seven dead deer in my travels in them couple weeks oh my god seven dead deer that were either hit by cars i don't know if they were shot or not if it wasn't the deer i was looking for i had no interest in it you know yeah and uh i showed luke and luke and luke and alex uh posting i guess you had posted a, the story of the chainsaw thing before and they both seen it and they ended up uh alex texts me he goes i hope this isn't your buck and he sends me the thing and i go i go dude i go that's it he goes what a small world he couldn't believe it so you oh my gosh so you had not seen the video that i posted no i still haven't seen the video i looked for it i couldn't find it oh my god see i figured you had already been privy to that and you'd seen it and and then the guy just happened to connect us and you wanted to tell the story okay so no he connected the story yeah and luke Luke is the one that wrote you, and Alex's dad, Alex said his dad went to school with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Small world indeed. So he recognized yeah. knowing, he, he knew, okay, New Jersey doesn't have a lot of big deer. I think I've seen a picture of this deer, so that's how he connected the dots. That's how he connected the dots. Wow. Wow, okay. Yeah. He just texted me out of the blue, and he said that, and I go, I go, dude, I go, I can't believe this. Yeah. I, so then I called him up right away, told him the whole story, and, uh, so as soon as I got back from Texas, we had another snow, and in these other pieces, just the two pieces that I was in, I seen people go past the trail cameras, and that was in the morning. By the afternoon, the snow had melted, so I was like, all right, I'm going in. I got to get these cameras down. So I ended up getting them cameras down. That that day, I then I went over to that guy's house. I went to his parents' house because I looked on my maps. I seen who owned. So the field that I always seen the buck in. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was the landowner's son's house. Had no idea. Hmm. Had no idea. So I end up seeing who owns the parcel of land. I go to the guy's, I go to the landowner's house. I ask the guy for permission. He Because he had just pulled in the driveway. And I pull in behind him. I start talking to the, the father and the mother. And they didn't seem to have a problem with me going there. But they said, listen, my sons did a lot of hard work. They hung all these posters because they had it all posted to ground post it private property you're gonna have to talk to my son this is his address Mm -hmm. they told me his name i went to his house i knock on the door the 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 wife answers the phone and after this whole incident happened come to find out the wife was my substitute school teacher oh wow and i didn't even know it i knew she looked familiar but i didn't find that out till the end of the to the end of the stinking so after all this stuff happened, I figured out that used to be my school teacher. <laughs> okay. It's it's like it's like small world. So she answers the door. The husband comes to the door. I start talking to him. I start telling him I shot that deer. Right away, his his mood changed. His face started getting a little red. The guy started to get a little mad with me, and he's like, "Well, you didn't have permission to be hunting on that piece of property." I said, "It's." It's public ground. I said, it's, as long as it's not posted, I'm allowed to be there. I said, we had a certified dog tracker search the deer into this piece. Then he starts asking me who the guys 
name is. I, I tell them who the guy's name is. Next thing you know, the guy's like, absolutely not. You can't search my property. I'm not giving you permission. And he tried to, he's like, you got to go right now. He started getting real hostile with me. Wow. And I just, I, I went to shake the guy's hand and the guy wouldn't shake my hand. So I said, well, sorry to bother you. Waste your time. Uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. And then I left. I just, I just left and I decide, well, I said, this is going to get interesting. So I ended up calling one of the fishing game officers. I didn't get a hold of him at the time. And I left him a message. I told him what happened. I said, you guys might begin a phone call. Well, wouldn't you know, the guy ended up calling fishing game on me. Hmm. Of course he did. And he ends up calling a dog tracker that he knows that dog tracker contacts the one that I had. And they were them. Both dog trackers were, asking the guy for me to get permission to get in there. And the guy was not having it. He, he started accusing my dog tracker of saying that he was trespassing when he wasn't. The guy is on the up and up with everything. He will never trespass on any anybody's property and neither would the other one. Yeah. That's just how they are. So was, the let me ask you this, everything. Tim, was this guy hunting the buck too? Yes. And at the end of the story, come to find out from what I heard, I don't know what truth is behind this or not, but the guy missed the deer twice. Oh wow! And the guy, the guy, the guy supposedly hasn't hunted in years, and just because this deer was in his backyard, he decided to hunt for the deer. So the guy had some kind of sentimental attachment to it because of missing the thing, and then he finds out I shot it, and I'm asking him for permission to look. So that was you know what happens in that moment in time, Tim? What's that? Your heart sinks because your your neighbor or your buddy or whoever shot shot the buck that you wanted. But you know what happens right after that? that initial gut kick is that you say, okay, well, it is what it is. And here's another hunter who needs help. And that's, you know, it's just neighborly and it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. I mean, you don't, you don't, nobody owns the deer and nobody uh, can say a deer can only stay on this piece of ground. I mean, it's not my fault. The deer came into the piece that I was hunting. I was just very smart about the way I did things. And I got lucky enough that the deer came into my piece. And when we were tracking that deer in my, in that in that piece that I was in, we ended up finding a shed from the deer from the year before. Oh wow! On the on the side with the drop sign, it started to have a a drop on it. Huh. it unbelievable! Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And uh, so that was basically that deer's core area and his his hiding spot, if I should say, you know. Yeah. Huh. So this dude. So then what happened? So he says no. He calls the tracking dogs, and and what happens next? Well, he called the tracking dogs, and the tracking dogs were kind of on my side, and they were like, you should just give the guy permission to go on. And it was left off at uh, the tracking dog guy saying to me that I think you're going to get permission to go on there. Mm-hmm. And never heard nothing. Hmm. Well, then February, I think it was February 26th or 7th, up oh, there's the deer posted on Facebook, deadhead, found on that guy's property that I asked the guy for permission for, found by his buddy, because he didn't want to look for himself. Hmm. I guess, I don't know, his buddy found a stinking deer. He asked somebody else to look on the property. The guy found a deer. I'm not saying nothing bad. The guy, I don't know, maybe because he's a little heavier set. He can't walk through the woods. I don't know. You know, that's just between me and you. Sounds just like a lazy bum to me. Just sound, well, I mean, like I said before, the guy wasn't ever a, he, he hunted, but he was only hunting because that deer was there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and what hunter would, what hunter in their right mind, if you were a, truly a hunter, 
What guy would never let somebody have permission? I didn't know this guy from nobody. I never trespassed on his property, nothing. The guy didn't know me. I didn't know him. I I tried to do the right thing, and I got burned in the end. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, what, 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 what guy... What guy in their right mind would chop up a horn? Any hunter, who, who would chop up such a beautiful animal? Yeah, that even if the neighbor was hunting the same deer as me, uh, that the outcome would be more favorable for, for whoever shot the buck. And if someone shot it and it ran onto my place, hell, you know, then I'd, I'd help them find it. How cool would that be? Yeah. yeah, it'd suck, but at the same time, be like, well, at least here's a happy ending for this deer. The deer deserves more than that. So. He deserves more than being chopped up with a chainsaw. So why did the guy why did the guy chop it up? What happened What happened here? That's we we kind of jumped to that, but what leads to the guy being filmed chopping the thing up with a chainsaw? So the guy, I guess the guy that found the deer in the woods, the the other farmer who he actually was successful and harvested the ten pointer, uh, the really nice ten pointer. He was successful in that. I can't say nothing bad about the guy. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know him from nobody. He he found the head, and I guess. I guess he gave it to gave it to this guy since it was found on his property, and uh, hearsay rumors. I heard they found a deer back in the beginning of February, and somebody slipped up and posted the picture. So mm-hmm. I guess the wardens, he, the landowner contacted Fish and Game, and was well they contacted supposedly a state police officer and tried to get a salvage tag, and the state police officer wouldn't give him a tag. He said, I don't want nothing to do with this. He was hunting the deer as well, supposedly. <laughs> and uh, the guy was actually uh, ended up taping the deer, like a rough tape real fast. Got the deer to be to be up in the 160s, low 160s. Don't know exactly what it scored because, you know, he just did it in the heat of the moment. Yeah. And uh, the guy called the fishing game, tried getting permission or a tag to keep the, to keep the head. Fishing game, one, one officer showed up from fishing game to try to get the head from the guy. Everything was going good. It was back and forth. You know, then the guy would get mad, and then he would, all right, we'll give it to you. You give it to us. And next thing you know, the, I guess an, another officer pulled up, and the other officer pulled up, and he got real demanding with the guy, and the guy started freaking out. He said, I'm cutting it up with the chainsaw, and that second officer said, go ahead, cut it up. And the guy started chopping the horns up in front of him. The game horns are actually the ones that videoed this. No, they did not video it. The farmer who found the deer head filmed the video oh wow <laughs> he filmed the video and i guess he sent it to some close buddies that might not have been so close and i guess that's how the video got out wow what a jerk so you know just all like i'm days. all in two days this happened I'm taking my ball and i'm going home because i can't have the deer head that no one can i'm going to chop it up exactly exactly what a piece of crap and let me it, tell you could have the freaking head that doesn't surprise me that the dude hasn't hunted in years. You know, he's, that that isn't a, a true hunter. That's just a it jerk. Isn't a true hunter. A miserable I person. I, I haven't I haven't stopped hunting the whole season my whole life. I hunt every season, every year. Bow bow is my favorite time. I guess I was getting greedy by wanting to shoot it with a crossbow, and I guess I guess that's what I deserve. You know. Uh, I think you deserve better than that, man. And and I will say this. You know, this guy is definitely a jerk. But at the end of the day, I'm. I'm still glad that he bought a hunting license and that he took up hunting again, even if it was just to try to kill this big deer. His actions afterwards are pretty despicable. I mean, just absolutely unacceptable. I, I will forever say, hey, the more hunters in the woods, the better. We need as many hunters as we can yep. get. Um, so then you see the you still haven't seen the video. You just know that it exists. No, no, I have the video. Okay, 
Okay. Is I it... have the video now. I yeah. haven't seen it on your site. Okay. Okay. So you you I, have I seen the video. Yeah. Far enough to find it. Yeah. Mm. So what then? What happens? So it seems like these guys demand so he give them the the horns, and he says, "Screw you." Is there any legal recourse, or I mean, does he just get away with nothing, it? Or? Nothing. Yeah, the guy got away with it. Nothing happened. He didn't get no tickets. Nothing happened. Don't know how. Maybe I'm missing a, a piece to the puzzle. I don't know. Huh. Uh, yeah, nothing happened to the guy. The guy, he's in the uh, law enforcement world himself. Yeah. I don't know if that's got something to do with it, you know. But that that that's basically what happens. So then the, the story gets posted on a, <clears throat> a local website, Jersey Big Bucks. It gets posted on the, on the site, my story and everything, and the vi pictures of the guy cutting it up, and everything escalated. The video comes out. Deadhead pictures of the deer, all kinds of different pictures of the deer. And basically the whole hunting community in New Jersey is like, this is pathetic. I can't believe the guy did it. You got other guys on the farmer's side of, the, of that landowner saying, oh, that deer was poached illegally, all this stuff. He didn't recover the deer, all this stuff. I would have recovered the deer if that guy would have gave me permission to look for the deer. Mm -hmm. granted, granted, by the time I knocked on the door, guy's door, it was three weeks. But that's because three weeks I was looking the one direction, and I never thought to look there until until finally I said, it's got to be over there, and i got to ask the guy for permission because it comes back down to me here in that car, slow down. Yeah. And something was just telling me, go that way, go that way. And I finally asked the guy for permission and got denied. And huh. so so let me, let, me, let me continue here. The whole hunting community around here thought it was pathetic. I'm getting accused of all this stuff. Neither of our names were ever put out there until basically now. And my sister, so I'm I'm talking to my sister one night. I said, yeah, I think I'm going to get a replica mount made of this deer just because of all the hard work, dedication I put into this thing. The unbelievable story that what happened to this deer, I can't believe it. You know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime deer for New Jersey. Yeah, absolutely. And uh now, I've never shot a 160 uh, free-range buck in Texas, so it's a hell of a deer anywhere. <laughs> it, I'll tell you what, it was beautiful. Deer was definitely a beautiful uh, beautiful animal when I seen it. The be most beautiful deer I've ever seen in my life. In yeah. person. And to be so close to it in, in a bow range, you know? Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, so my sister puts puts up a GoFundMe, right? And w Without me even knowing. She puts up this thing, writes this whole story, right? whole article. The guy from that Jersey Big Bucks shares the story, all these guys are bashing me, talking all this crap. One one guy in particular, I'm just going to call him Mr. C, because his name doesn't need to be put out there. He writes, so the guy writes, since everyone has such an opinion about me, I want someone to tell Tim Hesse to call me. I will pay the full bill for his replica mount. There is one stipulation, though. I need to know the fish and game officers' names that handled the whole ordeal. As long as everything adds up, I will give Tim 5000 cash in hand today. This is not to start any problems or be an asshole. This is because I truly care about hunting and hunters. I want the tradition to keep going, not let it fall apart, only because hunters themselves made it happen. Mm. Wow. Wow, yep. dude, that's awesome. <laughs> and the replica, the replica amount was... Uh, five thousand dollars to get the horns recreated and the place that's recreating them said they can they, they can remake them by uh by pictures but i happen to know details of measurements and 
I actually got the measurements pretty much for the whole deer to make the whole thing happen. That's incredible. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're actually making it. I went, I, I thanked the guy, everything. I ended up contacting the guy. The guy told me, come over. I came over, told him the whole story. He gave it to me. He said, you deserve it. He goes, I can tell you're sincere and you're, and you were very dedicated and the way you handled yourself with the whole situation. Most people wouldn't do that. Most people would have trespassed and all this stuff. And the guy took care of me. He didn't want nothing in return. He just wanted to give back because I, I guess you could say the guy's probably a millionaire, but he hasn't had that kind of money growing up. Mm -hmm. And now that I guess he is, he wanted to give back to somebody that was less fortunate and he's able to help. Yeah. Well, you know, it's you know? the hunting community that's coming full circle, man. That's a, here's a bad example. This guy who cuts it up probably his first time hunting in years not truly what we would consider a fellow a hunter in the, in the true spirit of being a sportsman and uh and then another guy who is on the right side of that line coming to uh to help a brother out who you know certainly deserved it i don't have the money to be paying for something like that but yeah. uh, you know i couldn't believe that uh i couldn't believe that somebody would really help me out like that and i had other people do donations for me and I appreciate what them people gave me and everything. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people stuck together and everything, everything came around full circle and, you know, I might not have the real actual set, but I'll have something pretty darn close to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. You know? it, it really is. I'm glad that there is a, a, a silver lining, a happy ending here. And I want to see the, uh, the replica when, when it's done, why don't you shoot us a picture? We'll, uh, We'll post it up. Yeah, definitely. I, I will do. They're gonna. I think it takes like uh, nine to eleven months, is what they said, and uh, they'll be able. They'll be able to mount it and uh, everything. Awesome, dude. So they're gonna. They're gonna mount it up. You'll never even know. You'll, you'll never even know that it wasn't the real thing. Yeah. You know. Hey. You know. People took so many pictures of this stinking deer while I was on the ground. You know, the guys that found it. I, I just want to say thanks for getting all the pictures. <laughs> all your pictures helped me out. <laughs> create my replica make it look 100 percent. even though they were talking crap on me they 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 helped me without even knowing but they'll know now yeah <laughs> well we appreciate your time today thanks for sharing your story with us all right cable thank you thank you very much uh i greatly appreciate you giving me a call and giving me an opportunity to share this uh whole experience with you absolutely man absolutely take care brother thank you you too so there he goes, New Jersey bow hunter Tim Hesse. And that segment of the show was a good one. <laughs> and it was also brought to you by John X Safaris. If you're looking for your next South African adventure, hey, I'm going back for my third year in a row. Uh, Carl and the guys will take care of you, whatever your needs are. You want to hunt planes game? Got you covered. You want to hunt dangerous game? Maybe travel to a darker, further-reaching part of Africa. They'll do that too. Leopard, lion, elephant, whatever. Give them a shout. John X Safaris. You can find them. Well, hell, just Google John X Safaris. They got some weird South African website thing going on, but uh, you'll find them. Uh, unfortunately, we are flat out of time for today. Thank you to uh, Cody Matheny as well as Tim Hesse, our two guests. Uh, two incredible stories. Totally different, but really kind of the same you know everybody likes big bass and big bucks it's in your human dna you want to catch a 10 pound bass or one pound bass 
You want to shoot a 200-inch buck or a 120-inch buck? Just embrace it. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm telling you, man. It's totally normal. Anyway, <laughs> that's going to do it for today's broadcast. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Don't leave.